1: Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network. Glad you're with us. It is time for the Tennessee Power Hour and on Fridays that means the VolQuest Power Hour. Brent Hubbs joins us from Knoxville as we talk all things Rocky Top on the Hill. Brent, hope you're doing well. We should mention uh, you actually gave Austin Price a vacation day.
2: Well, I mean, I mean, do we really want to talk to Austin for an hour today? I mean, it's kind of a vacation right. for all of us, right? I mean, when you look at it, I'm just kidding. Uh, he's actually doing some, He's actually doing some stuff uh, with his family, a little time off with the family and uh, well deserved and well earned. So you guys are stuck with me for the hour today and uh, he will rejoin uh, he will rejoin next week and uh, be back at it next week.
3: I don't mean to criticize Austin Price, the family man, but I see Austin doing something with the family as he goes to some resort and drops his kids off at the water park, and <laughs> he then he goes puts right on to Peter course. Millar and goes right out to the course, <laughs> and he has a solo uh, round of 36 holes <laughs> and well, not 18. I, you know,
2: I actually, I mean, he he's in a, in a location where there's a river involved and some rafts and some tubes, and uh, when I talked to him, he was getting ready to take his daughters, um, and they were going to go do a little little light rafting down, down a river. And now I think he was probably in Peter Millar to do it, but he was he was going out with the kids and uh, they were they're looking forward to it. So better, glad, glad he's- The Peter Millar
0: extra large swimsuit uh, collection. Or if, if
2: there's a Peter Millar life
3: jacket, he would find it also <laughs> with the logo on the back.
1: A lot to get to today. And then Brent Hubbs gets back to the hay field uh, where uh, he was uh, bailing some hay before he came in to join us uh, for today's Power Hour. Uh, after breaking some news yesterday, Brent, um, as, as VolQuest is known to do, um, Caden Salter is off this football team in Knoxville. No surprise based on how things have gone over the last several months for the quarterback. But your, your overall thoughts on the decision and the message Hypel is sending with this?
2: Well, I mean, honestly, I think this was a pretty much a no-brainer decision uh, when you look at it. And I don't. I'm not trying to be mean to Caden Salter, and I'm not trying to, you know, say Josh Heupel didn't, you know, take a stand or anything like that. But but here's a young man who's, uh, who Josh Heupel did not recruit. Uh, he inherited him as a recruit. He was a, um, you know, mid-year enrollee, enrolled in school in January, never was off suspension to get to the practice field, uh, was reinstated on June the 1st, and then was suspended again uh, last weekend after a 3 a.m. traffic stop on Cumberland Avenue where he was sided with simple possession. Uh, He just has not done uh, what he needs to do, um, you know, from a maturity standpoint uh, off the field to give himself a chance to be a college athlete. And uh, I don't think he's a terrible kid. I don't think it's that. I just think he's a kid who moved away from home, probably wasn't ready and wasn't mature enough to handle things. And that's obvious by the actions that, that he has taken since he's been at Tennessee. If you're Josh Heupel and you're trying to establish your culture and your program, uh, you're trying to set a standard of what you're going about, you know, your business and how you go about things. Um, I I just don't think he was in a position where he felt like he could give Caden Salter a a third opportunity, particularly when, you know, I mean, he was reinstated June 1st and it, it, I mean, it was basically two weeks, two and a half weeks until, you know, he he ran into trouble again. So um, I just think that he felt like, you know, it was time to move on and, Uh, We'll see where Caden Salter lands. Um, Maybe it's a Juco situation and try to restart himself. Maybe he transfers down. I don't know how how attractive he's going to be to a lot of other Power 5 schools out there at this point in time, given what's happened to him since he arrived in Knoxville in January.
3: I'm sure Alabama fans watching are going to hear this question and say, well, Chad, that's because Nick Saban is so great. Alabama players never do anything wrong or run afoul of the law but I don't see Alabama football players getting pulled over for simple possession and cited for it and arrested for it in in Tuscaloosa. We've talked in the past, Brent, about relationship between Knoxville Police Department, University of Tennessee Police Department, Tennessee football, Tennessee athletics. Is this a relationship that goes coach to coach with each program? Is it something that's best with certain athletic directors and the relationship they have? Do you think it's a system that's broken, or is there nothing to see here? Because, yes, Caden Salter should be kicked off the team for stupidity, but we're also talking about a very minor, small amount of marijuana citation that ended his career in Knoxville that I'm not seeing a lot of reports of that on other SEC campuses.
2: Well, I mean, I think in this situation you have um, – Caden Salter is not dismissed from the team because of what happened two Saturdays ago, or, or a week and a half ago, whenever the date was, uh, for getting a traffic stop. If that was his first offense, this would not be a situ- this would not be a story. Okay, the, the fact of the matter is, Caden Salter's first suspension resulted from a dorm room fight where there was some theft of some some illegal substances, some some marijuana that he was a part of with some guys. And and the, the the guy who the the substance was stolen from elected not to press charges, but they went in and stole things, and and the guy got beat up. Um, and, and so now I'm not saying Caden Solder was one throwing punches. I don't know, but he was with a core group of guys that was involved in that dorm room incident, which is a much bigger infraction if you think about it than what happened in a in a routine traffic stop. Um, you know, I, 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 there's always a, a situation where um, news in Knoxville in, in terms of uh, guys having issues with the law seems to get out pretty frequently uh, with the media. I, I don't know what happens in Tuscaloosa. I don't cover them on a daily basis. I don't know how many guys have gotten stopped on a routine traffic stop. I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, at, at Alabama, I think if you're, um, you know, if you're a running back, do you really want to get in trouble? Because you probably looked to your left and to your right and said, hey, you know what? That guy beside me is just as good or that guy beside me is better. Um, and so I think that Nick Saban can be, um, his message might be a little more uh, taken seriously at times by some players because of, of the competition that's around him. They've not been without trouble. Um, it just does not seem to get reported there. It does not seem to get reported at some other places like it has been in Knoxville. I don't think that it's a situation where, um, you know, the UT Police Department or the Knoxville Police Department is driving around town. Stalking football players and, and trying to see who they can get in trouble. I just think that you probably don't need to be driving your car um, with a with a busted tail light, expired tags, and and you know cruising down the strip about a quarter to four in the morning. Um, you know, you, you, you that's certainly an avoidable deal. I can't I can't blame that on the police, you know, or, or anything like that. I, I think that that's just a, a boneheaded decision and and something that uh, Caden Salter better learn from if he ever wants to have a chance to be a collegiate athlete.
3: Brent, the craziest and most egregious off-season, off-field story for Tennessee this off-season was Aaron Beasley and the animal cruelty charges. Those charges have been dismissed. What can you tell us about the latest with that case? Why were the charges dismissed? And do you expect Aaron Beasley to be back on this team?
2: Well, the charges were dismissed because I do not they didn't have enough evidence to prosecute. Um, I, I think you had some he said, she said deals in there and i think in the original story that came out when when aaron beasley was arrested upon further investigation there were a lot of um a lot of holes in that story to things that did not make sense which is why you saw the charges dropped yesterday i don't think anybody is surprised by that um is he going to be back on the team i I think it's very yeah a very real possibility that that's going to be the case um it's certainly not happening today um you know, we'll see over the course of the next few weeks where Josh Heupel elects to go with this. But I do think that, you know, he's going to have the opportunity to to rejoin the team. We'll see what Heupel's further punishment is, um, if he's going to have any other further internal punishment for, for Aaron Beasy or counseling or anything like that. But again, there was just not enough to prosecute in this case. And so uh, that's completely dismissed. There's nothing on his record. Um, it, it's you know, it didn't happen. Um So I think there's very much an opportunity uh, for him to be back on this football team uh, in in due time. I don't think it happens immediately, but I do think sometime this summer it's very real that he's back on this football team.
3: Let's go back to the quarterback room. Caden Salter out. You guys wrote at VolQuest. Harrison Bailey, Joe Milton may have a slight edge on the competition in being a two-man race come fall. Uh, You also had some interesting stats on Hendon Hooker in his time at Virginia Tech looking at the those three players right now Brent uh, how would you classify all three in terms of chances that they're the starter when Tennessee faces Bowling Green on that Thursday night
2: well i think when you look at Joe Milton and you see the physical size and you see the arm strength you look at him and you would say that guy may have the most talent in the room okay to, to be you know to be the guy now he's got to go out and perform okay i mean we we've all seen guys who can throw it a country mile Um, you know, in a great arm, but is it accurate enough? Can they see the field well enough as you put more players out there? I use this story all the time. I watch Casey Clausen throw it, um, and he's a guy when it was one, you know, routes versus there, you went, eh, not real good. And then it was one-on-ones, you're like, eh, okay, he's pretty accurate with the ball. Seven-on-seven, wow, that's that's a lot better. Eleven-on-eleven, he's the best one on the field. And so it's not always about the guy who's got the biggest arm Uh, and and the biggest size. But when you look at all the measurables, Joe Milton looks like he ought to be a guy who has a really great chance at winning this job, but he's got to go out and perform when it becomes 11-on-11, something he did not do, I don't think, efficiently enough in his opportunities at Michigan. Then you have Harrison Bailey, who um, is a guy who's won at the biggest level in high school football in Georgia. He was solid as Tennessee's quarterback in a 3-7 and season, was not great. Uh, but he took care of the ball he seemed to have a command of things um and, and but you know he doesn't have the strongest arm can he drive the ball down the field accurately the way that you want to at times his deep ball in spring practice was not as good as it needed to be but his best work of spring was in front of fans um at the spring game that was his best spring practice you talk to anybody over there he threw the ball better that day than he had all spring long so you know, was he quote a gamer a little bit? We'll have to wait and see. The hooker stuff was interesting, and and we kind of dug in on the, that for the sole purpose of. I kind of talked about in the spring watching him. He he didn't seem to have a ton of confidence driving the ball down the field, or didn't have a lot of desire to drive it down the field. He was very quick to the check down. Um, did not did not try to to force the ball in any way or take some chances vertically throwing it down the field. So I didn't know how he would translate into this offense. Because so much of this offense under Josh Heupel is about the deep ball and the ability to stretch the field in the passing game. But then you look at his numbers, not bad throwing the ball down the field. Threw it down the field more than you think. Not all of those were through the air, you know, 40 yards. But he did push the ball down the field uh, from a yardage standpoint pretty solidly. uh, And he was pretty consistent in his time at Virginia Tech. He only had one game where he had more than three incomplete passes in a row, and that was in a bowl game. So he's kind of the guy everybody's forgotten about, that might be more of a factor in this race when you get into the scrimmage stuff in August. We'll see. I think it's wide open heading into August 1 is the biggest, the biggest storyline for the quarterback competition at Tennessee.
1: Brent Hubbs with us from VolQuest.com. Brent, because it's so wide open, do you get the sense that if we're just placing and setting odds on this race that we could see a two-quarterback platoon system for for the Tennessee offense, as you well know, there are coaches that think you know if you don't have one starter, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't really have one true starter. Period. Where do you think Heupel comes down on this ultimately? And are there are there enough different flavors at quarterback to where they could do different things well enough to make this offense put up some points? And what's expected from Heupel?
2: Well, I, you know, I don't know the answer to that because I've not had that conversation with Josh Heupel. I, I will say this. If I were the coach, and I'm going to put it in, in my shoes, going what through what Tennessee and, and the players on this team had gone through the last uh, year or two at the quarterback position, uh, whereas, you know, yo-yo and starting guys, going back to a starter that you benched, you know, uh, the year they go to a bowl game that they, they played Garantano in a cast after they had benched him earlier in the year. Last year it was, you know, you didn't know series to series what they were going to do. I wonder for the confidence of this offense if they need to try to ride with a guy yeah. and not play musical chairs. Even though maybe you do some platooning things there, I just wonder. You got an offense that was so inept a year ago; they struggled so much a year ago. Do they need to ride with a guy and say, "Hey, we're going to go- we're going with him because he gives us the best chance to win." Maybe he doesn't do everything well. Maybe there's a guy on the bench who does one thing better than him. But overall, this team seems to have more confidence in him, seems to perform better when he's out there, and we're going to try to ride with that guy. I don't know the answer to that. I-, I-, I wonder if this team needs that more than they do the idea of, hey, in the third series, we're going to go with the guy who's got better legs than the guy who started, or maybe we you know, get in a red zone and we're going to do something kind of crazy here with our quarterback stuff i think that's a little bit risky with a team that i don't think has a lot of confidence on offense they're excited about this offense don't get me wrong big difference they're very excited about where this offense is but i still think coming off last year they need to have some some things go well for them early to create some confidence on that side of the ball
3: so everything you're saying brent ties right into something we discussed about yesterday on the show and i actually tweeted this question out to tennessee fans Separate of just a win total, what is a sign you want to see from Josh Heupel of progress? Got all all sorts of responses, but the majority of them had something to do with offense, with player development, with having an offensive plan. So going back to quarterback, I I want to ask you this question with Josh Heupel. Sticking with the guy, let's say it's Harrison Bailey or Joe Milton, those are two different quarterbacks that have different skill sets. Do you see Josh Heupel quarterback developer? quarterback manager as a guy who has a type of quarterback that he wants and has to have to have success? Or is Josh Heupel the type of guy that can devise a quarterback-friendly offense for Harrison Bailey, for Hendon Hooker, or for Joe Milton? And those three offenses could look a little bit different based on the quarterback. How do you see that going with Josh Heupel in terms of how he develops quarterbacks?
2: Well, I think that they believe that that's what they can do. Um, and I think you look at their history, Josh Heupel's history, what he did with Drew Locke at Missouri. We all know what that offense was about when Josh Heupel was there. It was, it was sling it down the field, right? I mean, it was the vertical passing game with Drew Locke. I mean, Drew Locke is not exactly got a lot of touch on the swing pass. He's not doing a lot of checkdowns. I mean, he is a super aggressive, throw it deep type quarterback. And then you go and you look at at, at Central Florida, what they've done. I mean, um, you know, they, they played with taller guys. They played with smaller guys. Um, you know, they played more of a, a little bit more, I guess, controlled passing game, a little bit more West Coast to it, and a little less vertical stuff to it, um, although there's always a vertical element to it. So the, the point is they feel like there's enough flexibility in this offense, and Josh Heupel believes he's got enough flexibility that, that he's going to play to the quarterback strengths a lot of coaches say that now you got to go out and show that right uh, but, but but that certainly ha- has shown itself uh, to, to be you know what what sort of what they've done in the past we'll see how it translates to the SEC um, there was a notion that um, that's something butch Jones w- could do but really when they lost Josh Dobbs that they, they they didn't they didn't alter what they were trying to do they kept trying to do it with guys who couldn't do, What Dobbs did with his legs and and really prior to Dobbs taking over the quarterback position. I mean, you got Justin Worley out there in the zone read. He never kept it, right? I mean, it was like they were were trying to put a bit of a a square peg into a round hole from that standpoint. So I don't know that they completely adjusted to a large degree. We'll, We'll see what Josh Heupel does. I know he firmly believes his system has enough flexibility that he can play with multiple styles of quarterbacks.
0: On to everybody's favorite topic, the resolution of the investigation. Uh, Do do you think Danny White in his dialogue here is is saying something like, hey, could you factor it in as part of the punishment that schools in their recruiting against us are able to say, hey, they're going to be locked out of bowls for three years here when that's probably not in the realm of possibility? Can that count as part of the penalty? when when you finally come down and and can we get any hints of the timetable
2: well i, I don't think the ncaa is going to go okay well we're going to we're going to back that off because georgia's saying negative things about you in recruiting um or whoever i shouldn't just say georgia but other schools are i was there. thinking I, auburn I don't, think, I, I don't think that yeah auburn obviously there's an example of that for sure um i, I don't think the ncaa is going to take that into account what 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 danny white is sitting here doing if i'm danny white is i'm going guys how much longer do we have to interview people? I mean like why 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 are we why are we still interviewing people? We've been, you know, th- this investigation when it was opened in December started interviewing people actually in late November. We're heading into July and it's still ongoing. Like how many more people are there to interview? At some point you've you've already had enough to fire everybody who worked in the building essentially, from the athletics director through the head coach to everybody in the recruiting office. I mean, what what is left to dig up at this point um, that's gonna make a a significant difference in the investigation? That's where if I'm Tennessee, that's where my frustration lies is that they're continuing to look. At some point, you kind of throw yourself at the mercy of the court and say, hey, here's eight months of investigative work. We've talked to 40, 50, 60, whatever the total number of people is. We've exhausted this investigation. Here's our self-imposed penalties. And what you're hoping at that point is the NCAA says, you know what? We know what you've done for the last seven months. We're not going to come dig anymore. Okay. And that's kind of been Tennessee's philosophy is, hey, we're going to dig and we're going to go through this with the in in step with the NCAA so that the NCAA basically accepts our self-imposed penalties because there's no reason for them to come dig. I don't understand why they're still digging. At some point you've dug enough into this thing because you found enough to – you know, to take care of, of cleaning the house with everybody. And, and I think that's where some of the frustration lies is that it's not, quote, over from an investigative standpoint. When is that going to be done? I don't know, guys. I thought it would be done in, like, March. And, and you know, the third, the third party legal firm out of Kansas City is still interviewing people and still billing hours to the University of Tennessee. So at some point you got to say, we're done with our investigation. I just don't know when they're going to do that. I thought it would have already happened. Brent,
1: if this were happening 20, 25, 30 years ago, um, based on your experience, how do you think, it, would we have more information out there right now than what we do given the time frame, given the, the, the news media, the news coverage of things? Do you think it would be about the same? Uh, where, where is the NCAA when it comes to investigations today versus a decade or two ago?
2: Well, I think they're extremely slow. Extremely, extremely, extremely slow. Um, I, I mean has Louisville got a resolution to their seven year investigation or five year investigation I mean how long's Rick Patino been gone from Louisville right I, I mean did, did that ever get re- has that gotten resolved I mean you know you, you've got investigations that are in, in some cases are, are not investigations but but rulings from investigations that you're still waiting on rulement, uh, you know you're still waiting on something from the NCAA with I, I think we have a lot of people out there who feel like the NCAA is losing um losing their bite every day when you talk about name image likeness where that's going the fact that they can't you know get um, investigations wrapped up and punishment taken care of there um, I, I think if you're talking about 20 years ago I, I think 25 years ago I think the NCAA would have ruled faster um, and, and at, at Tennessee and I'm not saying Danny White's done anything wrong or anybody at Tennessee's done anything wrong but but Somebody's head would have rolled in Doug Dickey's hands for, for the fact that this thing drug out seven or eight months. I mean, it, it was, it, I mean, he would have had something wrapped up faster. He, he would have, at some point, he would have walked in and said, We're done. We're done with the investigation. Punish us, period. And I think at some point, that's probably where Tennessee's going to have to go with this is we're done. We've talked to enough people. Punish us. Because otherwise, this thing may drag on for more, for several more months. And that's not good for anybody in the football program. And certainly not good for Josh Heupel trying to recruit.
1: Well, just, just to wrap up the conversation on the investigation for this week anyway, do you get the sense that Tennessee is prepared to do that? Do you think there is a, a, a date circled on the calendar for when they would tell the NCAA exactly what you just explained? Do, has that thought crossed their minds? What are you hearing behind the scenes? I don't. I don't know that the the thought has
2: crossed their minds. I think they're leaning on the on the outside legal firm. Um, you know, Danny White walked in when Danny White walked on the job. He was the, the investigation was well under on their way underway. So I mean, the, the, the chancellor's side has kind of run this, and the chancellor made it very clear. Um, you know, when some people in the athletic department were saying uh, that they hope to have some kind of resolution from the NCAA this summer, uh, the chancellor said on. on uh, on the Vol Network, on Vol Calls back in March, I think it was, when she was on, that she did not expect any kind of resolution with the NCAA before the start of the football season. So from the the chancellor's standpoint, it doesn't seem like her timetable has been taxed or, or is exceeding kind of where she maybe thought it would be. She did not elaborate a whole lot more there, but she was asked about it, and she just said, I do not expect any kind of resolution before football season, and she's that's absolutely appears to be the case. I know some people um, within some of the new hires when they arrived in in Danny White's regime, they were hoping to be further along this summer than than what they are with the NCAA. Um, So I I think she's kind of been the lead on this deal, and um, we'll see where it goes over the course of the month of July. Um, I'm waiting to get um, the invoice on what the billable hours were for the month of May. Did they... Did they spend less money, because I mean that's one way you know the investigation is wrapping up, right? If the dollar figure is dwindling, then there's less billable hours by the by the firm. That means they're doing less interviews, less work about it. You feel like it's wrapping up at that point. So uh, we'll see what that number looks like when they get it back to me uh, as a part of a you know, a, a freedom of information request that they have they have obliged to, and, and obviously uh, given me uh,
1: each month as, as the invoices come in. Brent Hubbs with us from VaultQuest.com. This time a week ago, the Vols had just landed in Omaha, and now they're back in Knoxville. Also in Omaha, representatives from LSU. Were they talking with Tony Vitello? We know he's going to get a bump in pay from the University of Tennessee. We'll ask Brent exactly what he expects in that, the investment into baseball and what it means moving forward for the athletic department. All of that and more straight ahead. The VolQuest Power Hour rolls on on OutKick 360. The Tennessee Power Hour and OutKick 360 roll on with Brent Hubbs of VolQuest.com. And uh, it is the VolQuest Power Hour each and every Friday afternoon right here across the OutKick network. Brent, we know LSU was in Omaha uh, during Tennessee's stint there, 0 for 2 after landing and playing twice. They're back in Knoxville. Quite the season uh, on Rocky Top for the baseball program. I just want to start with the news of the week, though. Did you get a sense that LSU was there to talk with Tony Vitello? With some, not just Tony Vitello,
2: but maybe a couple other people uh, who were in, in Omaha as, as potential candidates. Uh, sort of vetting some things out. I don't think LSU and Tony Vitello had any kind of face-to-face conversation or even a detailed phone conversation. I think there was definitely some third-party conversation that took place at different points the last couple of weeks um, with uh, Scott Woodard, LSU's athletics director, and and some third-party people associated with Tony Vitello. I'm sure everybody will deny that on all fronts at some point. But that, that's you know that's kind of how this business works to sort of see where they were but uh, you know it it was pretty seems pretty clear to me in in the way this thing has gone of course LSU's made a hire now Vitello was on LSU's list but he was not as high up as some people thought there was a there was an LSU contention little media uh, scuttlebutt from LSU uh, Monday of this week maybe Tuesday of this week that um, Tony Vitello had a you know, a big offer in hand from LSU and that that's where LSU was going. And, and that was just never the case. It never got to, to any depths or, or anything like that. And so we'll see where Tennessee lands and how they uh, can close, you know, finalize a new deal for Tony Vitello and, and get things moving going forward. I think Tony Vitello's always wanted to stay at Tennessee. I think LSU was intriguing if they had gotten real serious with him. I just don't think it ever got to, got to that point with him.
1: Well, and you're right. I mean, I should have mentioned this. Jay Johnson, who was also in Omaha coaching Arizona, the Wildcats go 0-2. They lost to Vandy in Stanford. Uh, he now is the LSU head coach. So they did go to Omaha and leave with a coach to coach their program, which has won six national championships. My question, Brent, in thinking about Vitello and LSU this past week, and now that we know that it's done uh, and that he's, he's at Tennessee, how, how much was Tennessee willing to meet LSU with whatever offer they could potentially bring to the table here, because if you're Tony Vitello, you're absolutely listening to what the Tigers would say.
2: Yeah, I mean, and, and listen, Tony Vitello's got an offer, and and he's had an, an offer from Tennessee uh, that they've just kind of been countering back and forth and and discussing some language with that um, and, and those type of things. I mean, I think there was, I don't know what the number was. Yep. I, I'm going to be fast, and I've not seen this morning, and I may be wrong. I don't know that the numbers on the hire of Coach Johnston from, from Arizona has come out yet. Um, you know, There was all this talk that LSU was going to pay upwards to $2.5 million for their baseball coach. I don't think that number is going to be um, anything like that. I think where Tennessee was and, and is with Tony Vitello is a very lucrative deal that would put him uh, in the upper echelon in the SEC, uh, which means you're in the upper echelon nationally uh, for, for baseball coaches. I mean, you look at what Texas A&M just hired. I think they were in the one five one six range, something like that, with their new hire. I think Tony Vitello will be a little bit better than that when it's all said and done. Um, but you know, I think there's some. You know, you're trying to figure out guaranteed money on the back end of a deal versus incentive money. Um, you know, the the facility thing's very important. If I'm Tony Vitello, I want a start date. I want it in print. I want it signed. Um, you know, I, I don't want a. I, I want a minimal number on what you're going to spend, uh, with the understanding that that number might increase due to construction cost. I mean, I, I want to. If I'm Tony Vitello, um, particularly while my name was floated around with LSU, I, I'm trying to get everything I can now. Um, it, it, unless he's going to go to Arizona, which I don't think he is, the leverage. The leverage part is different now than it was. 72 hours ago, you know, with the LSU stuff. But I don't think it's for for Vitello, I don't think it's leverage about more money for him. I think it's want to make sure there's some guarantees in place uh, to make sure the facility upgrades are being done. They're going to start on time. There's a plan in place. We're we're not just going to talk about it. Yeah, we're going to do something. I think Tony Vitello, through previous administrations, has heard, yeah, we're going to do that. We're going to to put a plan together for that. I, I think Tony Vitello wants it more solidified than that. And, and I think that was a, as big a part of anything in all of this compared to what the actual number was going to go to with Tony Vitello ver, versus where it actually ends up landing. I, I think Tennessee was going to do everything they could within reason. Now the question is what's reason, yep. but I think Tennessee was going to make a real, do whatever they could to and, and have been committed to keeping Vitello 2 million. Um, I, I don't, I don't think that it was going to be that high. It might get to that high on the back end of a deal, uh, but, but not probably out of the gate, but I, it's going to be a lucrative deal for Tony Batello for sure.
1: Well, Chad, according to the Daily Advertiser, it's a million and a half base salary for Jay Johnson at LSU with a million dollar buyout payable to Arizona.
3: Well, it makes sense, and that falls in line with what Brent was saying. Uh, someone else who just got a job, Brent, is Ross Kivett, who is a volunteer assistant for Tennessee, and now he's a full-time assistant at Houston. I can't recall a more memorable walk-off of a volunteer assistant job than Ross Kivett in Omaha on national television getting tossed and going absolutely nuclear after getting tossed <laughs> in that game against Texas. Uh, what can you tell us about him and what did you make of that scene in Omaha?
2: Well, it reminded me, it wasn't in Omaha, but Tennessee had a third assistant coach when Rod Monaco was here by the name of Bill Moziello. And and uh, Moziella was a young, fiery guy. He ended up at Ole Miss at one point. He's I think he's been in Texas coaching um, at, at a school out there. I don't know where all he's landed. He was trying to get on, I think, at the A&M staff. I'm not sure if that was going to happen or not. Um, but, but he's a guy against Arizona State in the 94 regional, and he left after the 94 season, if I'm not mistaken. He got ejected, and he got in the face of an ump, and it was – when I saw Ross Kivett, that's the first thing that it, that it reminded me of was just a high intensity at that point. Ross, Ross Kivett is a guy that everybody in the program loves, and I'm happy for him because he's actually going to get to go make money now. Th- this is where college baseball has to be very careful and, and has to get some things fixed. They cannot go down the path where they're going to pay these head coaches $2 million or whatever these numbers end up being, spend all this money on facilities and, and, and all this stuff, but not pay a third assistant coach. Okay. I mean, you're talking about player development. Do you you need player development? Do you need to spend $4 million on an indoor heated hitting cage? Or do you need to pay a third assistant coach to coach some guys and develop? I I think college baseball needs to get that in line and get on the books that, Hey, you're going to pay three coaches and let's stop, let's stop spending all this money on some, you know, fancy locker room lights and let's, let's, Look, 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 staffs need to be deeper to, to develop players better, but that's my personal opinion. Chivit worked his tail off at, at Tennessee for, for peanuts, and um, I'm happy for him because he's landed a paying gig. He's got more stability financially there. He'll be missed at Tennessee. Um, he, he was a very integral part of, of what Tony Vitello uh, um, had done here in his first three and a half years. Um, but But, again, I mean, that's part of it. You want your staff to – improve and you want your staff to improve their life and and Ross Kivitt's got a chance to do that uh, obviously he lost his mind you know arguing balls and strikes and an umpire had a short trigger on that and yeah it's a good way to to, to wear the orange and white the last time right is, is to is, is to get get thrown out of a game on national tv so um Ross Kivitt had had enough and, and it was very clear that um his head was about to explode because he had had enough there and it was very clear that the umpire's we're not going to have any of it on that day cuz if you go back and look from from inning 1 they were very clear that they were in charge and they wanted to be in charge they weren't going to listen to a whole lot of yelping throughout the day and those games are so intense cuz they're elimination games and you could you know you could feel the intensity through the television the opening opening inning much less when it got to the balls and strikes argument from Kivett where he got tossed
0: i like that we got to know that he had calmed down by seeing that he was liking tweets about <laughs> about the whole incident in, in the in the clubhouse, after the fact, I, I know it's hypothetical now because uh, because things are, are finalized at lSU, but let's go back a little bit. You said what's reasonable we've talked earlier this week about this, like to you, what was the value um, if if they were bidding in some way to keep him from going to lSU in a non revenue generating sport what what not a number, but like philosophically to you, the value of the baseball program and making people happy with that as a bridge, really, when football is what it's all about and men's basketball to a degree. Like, what would you have envisioned happening there and how big a loss would it have rated as?
2: Well, I think if, if, if Tony Vitello would have left, I think it would have been a big loss from, first of all, from a perception standpoint. Here's Danny White's first big deal, right? I mean, you, you know, you're, you're the new boss in town. You're, you're out here, you know, talking about raising all this money and doing all these things, and your fan base is excited about a guy who's winning. Um, he, he's, he brings an edge about him. His program's bringing an edge. They've got a ton of pride about Tennessee. Uh, they sell Tennessee as well as anybody does. And, and so if you're Danny White, you had to do everything you could to keep him. Now, how far were you gonna overspend? I don't know, we'll never know that number in my opinion because I don't think anybody else is going to come after him right now. Uh, but but I think that right now that number might have even been a little higher than, than, than in other years because of where your football team is and because of where you are as, a new, as the new guy on the block. I mean, if you're Danny White, you don't want to be the guy whose first big deal was he didn't do all he could to keep Tony Vitello. And I, I think that's why you saw some of the number stuff get out there, because I think there was a concern – that, you know, Tennessee wanted to make it clear they were doing everything they could to keep him and that if Vitello had left, that he was leaving because he wanted to leave, not because Tennessee lowballed him, if you will. Um, And and I wrote this, uh, I don't know, three or four weeks ago, and and it was a little bit of asking the question, but it was a little bit of, of my opinion as well. What is the pride worth? Because pride's worth something, okay? I mean, and I'm not comparing Tony Vitello to Pat Summit because they're different people. But but Tennessee made an investment into women's basketball years and years ago when nobody was spending money on women's basketball. Did did Tennessee ever recoup all the money they spent on women's basketball? The answer would, would be no if you look at it straight from a dollars and cents. But what was Pat Summit worth and what was women's basketball worth to Tennessee? I would contend a lot uh, because of the pride factor that it brought. And I, I think sometimes you have to factor that into the equation as well And that's something Tony Vitello and his team has done a lot. They've represented this team in in a great manner. Nobody's writing about anything they do off the field. Uh, They play their guts out, um, and they bring a lot of pride to to a fan base who's craving and starving for somebody to win. So uh, for Tony Vitello, it's a good time to win, and it's a good time to be successful. And, you know, here's a guy who got to Omaha this year. He was national coach of the year. They win the SEC East. Um, He's got all these bonuses in place to receive – for those accomplishments and he's not going to get any of it he doesn't get any bonus money this year uh, because of he signed an agreement to take that off the table because of the pandemic um, and that expires the end of this month so all of those incentives that he would have gotten paid for in bonus money he doesn't get this year and and he's okay with that so all of those things factor into the love affair that people have with Tony Vitello uh, which obviously stems first and foremost from the success they're having on the field.
3: He's probably okay with it because he's about to get paid in this next contract to more than make up for what he lost in that. (laughs) Absolutely, Uh, Two basketball notes in the war room today that I want to ask you about, Brent. Tennessee's got Deontay Green on campus right now from Asheville, North Carolina. He is a top 150 player in America, ranked 133 by rivals. And Tennessee doesn't even know if he's a take at this point (laughs) because they've got four and maybe five top 50 players that currently – Tennessee made lead for, all of them. What a statement about Rick Barnes and Tennessee basketball recruiting that a guy early on in Rick Barnes' tenure would have been the gem of a a class, may not even be a take, and also Kennedy Chandler and how he's impressed so far uh, in pickup games and how his team is consistently winning, whatever side he's on as Tennessee works out. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you about both of those notes with the Tennessee basketball program.
2: Well, let's start with Kennedy Chandler, and I believe this. I've spent some time with Kennedy Chandler. I think Rick Barnes is going to love Kennedy Chandler because Kennedy Chandler is unbelievably competitive. He wants to be coached hard, and he has that that will, that winning will that I think Rick Barnes wants every one of his point guards to have. And um, I, I think he's going to be a, a great fit. Now, I think it's a short run. I don't know that Kennedy Chandler is going to be here a long time, But I believe this. I think Kennedy Chandler, uh, Rick Barnes likes so well that he's going to walk in and just hand him the basketball and say, hey, this is your team. You're running the point. There'll be some growing pains, but from day one, this is your team. Uh, I think they believe that much in Kennedy Chandler, and he's only backing up their belief by what he's getting done this summer. Um, The thing about Chandler is he is a facilitator, he can score, but he can distribute the basketball. And um, he is as quick as can be. uh, Tabari, an old Jerry Jerry, Green line, he's quick on quick. And um, he's a guy who can get to the rim and finish. He can also hit the mid-range, but more importantly, get his teammates involved. And I think that's uh, something Rick Barnes wants and and has to have in his offense is his point guard has to be able to distribute the basketball and create um, offense for other players with their ability to, to, to penetrate and get to the rim. The way we saw, you know, Jordan Bone, when he was at his best for Tennessee, he was creating for everybody because of his ability to drive on people, and that's what Tennessee's got to get back to. From the recruiting standpoint, um, it's amazing where Tennessee has gotten to, and and I think you go back to Schofield, you go back to Grant Williams, setting a foundation, Bone, those guys setting a foundation and winning, and, and what winning does is it gets guys' attentions, it gets good players' attention, they come in, they have some success, they move on. I mean, you don't think everybody who's on Tennessee's recruiting board took notice of Keon Johnson and what he did at the Combine, you know, and, and what his numbers look like and where he's projected to go in, in the lottery. Um, nobody's sitting here saying, boy, he hurt himself by going to Tennessee for a year. Not one person is going to suggest that and say that. And as a result of that, guys are continuing to play, uh, pay attention to Tennessee and their player development. Even if it's only for a year, that's why you're
1: seeing Tennessee recruit at the high level they're recruiting at right now, and it'll continue. I'm still trying to imagine being able to jump four feet off the ground the way oh. Keon Johnson can.
3: Well, and it's not only that. I'm looking at a graphic right now. It's three of the top six highest verticals at the NBA Draft Combine are all Tennessee Vols. Keon Johnson first, Eves Ponds third at 42 half inches. Springer, who you wouldn't think of a guy as a great vertical, 41 half inches was sixth best. At the NBA Draft Combine, it's terrific! It's great strength and conditioning. Well, like and that's home. a great.
2: Well, it's a great point. Those guys were really good when he got here. Okay, Pons was a good athlete when he got here. So was Springer. So was Keon Johnson. But if you look at their body, they are different players after a year or two years, or in, in Pon's case, four years in the program. And it's Coach G. It's Coach Garrett, the strength coach. He's a guy who's been in the NBA. He knows how to train guys, get their bodies right, um, to help them improve. And that is something Tennessee sells hard in player development. It's not just improving your jump shot. It's not just learning the game. It's about how to get your body right for the next level. And I think he did that with Schofield. He's done that with Grant Williams. He's done that with with all these guys. And as a result of that, that's something Tennessee rides hard in recruiting, and it helps them. And these combine numbers only help that, that notion and help that selling fact in recruiting.
1: Brett? The, the hour always flies by uh, with VolQuest, with you and Austin. Uh, we appreciate the time today as we do each and every week. We look forward to next week's chat and get back to the hayfield. Good luck to you. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Everybody have a great weekend. Thanks, yeah, same to you. Brent Hubs. You can follow him on Twitter. You saw that on screen. Brent underscore Hubs. VolQuest underscore Rivals is the site as well at VolQuest.com. We love having them on. We're going to keep it here to the top of the hour and uh, wrap up what has been a very fun week uh, before we preview uh, the great state of Nebraska with Chad Withrow, where he is headed, uh, we talk NFL Network, which is for sale. Or at least, I, that's how I read this. Yeah, um, the way they're phrasing it is, they're looking for investors. It's not. They're not saying it's for sale, they're looking for investors. It's a weird phrasing to me, uh, because that NFL Network is not just Their television station, it's It's, NFL.com, there would be streaming involved with this. I wonder if Amazon is interested in some way. Goldman Sachs has been hired to facilitate these talks. I don't
0: really understand it, Uh, and it sounds like you don't either, because um, the whole thing with the NFL having its own media arm is you know, it's taken over the media. Like, it's independent well, of, of media. It's got the resources to hire its own people. And, uh, you know, it's got uh, all of these things that make it this wondrous, independent, self-run arm. Cronky's giving it a studio at the new stadium and all of this well, stuff. Well, think about what they so have. what, what they does own. it
1: need? Well, I mean, uh, they're looking for just... Money? I, I, yeah, I mean, but they're the, not the looking for money. The way I look at it, they're looking for a, a for a strategic partner to join in as what would be a minority owner for a football team, right? Where you know the Steelers have minority owners right. who have no uh, say in anything, uh, but they get but paid, they, right? Yeah, they they get, they get a chunk pay. of yeah, they whatever to, they're
3: making. they making. They want to mitigate some losses too. It feels like let's well, have someone else share the burden of whatever we're spending on these properties.
1: See, I, I think they're they're looking at it for what is to come they they own they can own the combine the schedule release uh they can own uh, what else did i write down they're already airing the nfl draft but though in competition thursday night football is going to streaming only what does that mean for the international games moving forward they want to play in germany Is this saying, hey, uh, Amazon, or who, I'm using Amazon as an example because they make a lot of sense from a streaming part of this. But if Fox were to want to get involved from a streaming arm, you can own a chunk of whatever they're producing that the NFL will put out as its own. I'm I'm intrigued by the business side of this as much as I am just the front and center distribution.
0: I'm curious about the digital side and the dot-com side. But still, I feel like uh, NFL in many ways has flexed its muscle, right? Well, about and we've talked a lot about the lack of need of outside media because team media and league media yes. can handle so much. And here now they're looking for outside element to it. So I, I don't. It's not adding up to me. I don't really understand it. I hope more is written about it by business sided people soon. That helps me understand what exactly they're looking for.
3: Quick live breaking news update. Kumar Rocker was warming up for Vanderbilt to face NC State. And the game has been officially postponed because of health and safety concerns with NC State, with a player testing positive for COVID-19. And this is a possible forfeit for NC State. One player. Where Vandy having NC State having already beat Vandy and Vandy having to beat them twice could be moving on to the National Championship Series based on forfeit. But it's officially just one Post-ball. player so far? The, obviously, they have not announced anything. There are people reporting that one, one player, player tested positive, and tested now they're positive. looking into other things with the program. Uh, Kumar Rocker was warming up 17 minutes before first pitch. Vandy left the field, and the game has been officially suspended, postponed.
0: Odd. And I'd hate for them to – I mean, obviously, everyone would hate for them to advance under those circumstances. You've got to get them on the field. Well, how now, if you it was postponed for a day – I mean – I don't know. If it's postponed for a day, that's uh, beneficial to Vandy because uh, I don't know if Rocker's on regular rest, but certainly Lighter tomorrow no, wouldn't be on regular rest. I think if you get one day here, Rocker and Lighter are both on regular rest, uh, which certainly enhances their uh, ability uh, and buys the rest of the staff more rest. So, uh, you know, and they'd be playing now, it appears, a lesser team or diminished.
1: Well, does it affect how Corbin approaches this now? Because you could save lighter for game one of the College World Series final if you want. I mean, it's.
0: You're playing with fire. you got to win the first
1: very one first and then. Intriguing yeah. on well, the and pitching is, rotation. Is this the last big COVID
3: 19 game cancellation we're going of, to see? Of this? We're not whole seeing deal. it as much now. You're right. Uh, with available vaccine and everything else, and as more people have had it, is this the last? Is this the last stand in major sports or a major sporting event with a COVID nineteen cancellation that See, we're witnessing?
0: See, Thank God they kept the media away. <laughs> thank God.
3: <laughs> we're not blamed. Probably one of those media members that uh, gave it to. Them. Well, there's media there. I know. I mean, there were well, media there covering the event. Well, there's there's also. Uh,
1: they didn't give it, it to him the through the. I uh, <laughs> didn't give it to him through the Zoom call. Fans in the stadium, media, you do your stand-ups outside the stadium, please. Um, Keep your dirty selves away from us in this event. You can't keep Chad Withrow out of Nebraska, though. He's headed there this weekend.
0: I I ask this every time you go. Please, stream Nebraska through your headphones (laughs) as you go to Nebraska. The Springsteen Classic, it just would be so... Chad,
1: your
3: thoughts? We're not driving. I know. Flying. <laughs>
0: you're flying. You can listen hey, to it at baggage claim or the, on the drive.
3: I would rather listen to a really good podcast or other mm-hmm. music than Bruce
0: Springsteen. It just, it'd be so symbolic. Tell me you do it. Send out a picture of the album. Why don't
3: company. you watch Tweet the out film a Nebraska in Nebraska? Maybe when I go on my little jogs in Nebraska on the farm, I will uh, listen to Nebraska by Bruce album.
1: Springsteen while, while doing that. Guys, Maybe. fun week. Have a great weekend. May we'll Jacob you, Swanson up. win everyone some money this week. Yes, he will. May he do that. Yes, he will. Uh, Chad, enjoy the uh, the time with family. God's Thank country. country. God's big, uh, country. Big thanks to Regan and Lansley, Jacob Swanson, David Reed, Chairman of the Board, Becca Risley, Sleepy Danny, the whole cast and crew without kick. We appreciate you back on Monday to recap what will be a great sports weekend. Enjoy it.
0: And I hope the McCrossans have a lovely visit to Nash Vegas as they don't block the box and lock the locks.